Let's get into the transformed mind. Yeah, hopefully I can, I'll stay here on schedule. They said I went a little bit over last week, so try to do, try to do better. Last week we said that the renewed mind or the transformed mind, here's, the, uh, I thought, a, a pretty decent definition, to be in control of ourselves. Have you ever seen folks that said, I don't understand why those people act that way. They, they're just out of control. They just lose it. They act like they've lost their mind. Have you ever seen anybody you ever, ever run up against anybody? They've lost their mind. But the transformed mind, God says, I want you to be in control of yourself and respond biblically in every situation. How many know you have to train yourself to do that? You have to train the mind to do that, to respond biblically. Lord, what would you have me do? James said that wisdom that is pure and undefiled before God comes from above, wisdom that's pure. God wants us to have his pure wisdom, get his take on it. He'd really like us to live out of the tree of life instead of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So it's going to be a good thing as we begin to train our minds to respond biblically in every situation. Last week we talked about the unregenerate mind, and it cannot know God according to 1 Corinthians 2.14. It has problems staying in relationship or even knowing God in his fullness. The natural mind cannot renew itself. Now, there's a lot of things the natural mind can do. It can turn over a new leaf. It can even be sensitive to Christian values. We have folks probably that are here among us. They have Christian values, but are they really working on the renewed mind? Sunday's challenge was a divine fit. Where do you fit in the body of Christ? What is God called and commissioned you to do. He's, he's given all of us a mandate, and that's go, not sit. Go. You know, we sit in his presence, we worship him, but we go into the world for the purpose of advancing the kingdom for the glory of God. There's a lot of things that the natural mind can do. As a matter of fact, some people in the natural mind are outworking and outperforming believers. Hello, somebody. So there's a lot of things here that God is calling us to get a handle on, get our minds wrapped around what is His good and perfect will. We talked about urges and fantasies last week where Jesus was led into the desert to be tempted of Satan. And even we contrasted that with the Garden of Eden experience where Satan tempted Eve with an idea. He gave her an urge. And a fantasy. You can be like God. You can live in total freedom under yourself. Isn't it amazing that God will allow us to do that? And it's going to, even if He knows it's going to wind up messing up our lives. But He gives us a free will. But those that diligently seek Him, there's a reward available. God is a rewarder of those that diligently seek Him. So tonight we want to talk about the transformed mind from a different perspective. We're going to get to the, to the regenerate mind, the renewed mind, the transformed mind. Now the standard for renewing the mind is to formulate a biblical self-awareness. A biblical self-awareness. In other words, who am I? Who has God called me to be? A lot of folk in the kingdom are, are more concerned with doing than becoming. We, we think that we get, we get somehow justified by what we do in the body of Christ. And the more we do, the more attention that we may draw to ourselves and be for the purpose of being well thought of or liked or accepted we may have that need. Um, and, and everybody has that need, the three basics, love, acceptance, and forgiveness, those three basic keys that's unique to human nature. So the unregenerate mind, though, is rooted in guilt 
and shame. When Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden, they left in guilt and shame. They were dealt the death blow by sin. And when one finds themselves in that condition, it takes a radical change for the renewed mind to recover because it's such a blow. Genesis chapter 3, if you have your Bibles, you can go there. I want to read the first seven verses, so I'm going to go very quickly. And as I told you last week, I'm in the, uh, I'm in the Amplified Version. So here we go. Now the serpent was more crafty, subtle, skilled in deceit than any living creature of the field which the Lord God had made. And the serpent, Satan, said to the woman, Can it really be that God has said, You shall not eat from the, any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat from the trees of the garden, except the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden. God said, You shall not eat from it, nor touch it, otherwise you will die. But the serpent said to the woman, You certainly will not die. For God knows on the day that you, eat from, <clears throat> that you eat from it, your eyes will be opened. That is, you will have greater awareness. And you will be like God, knowing the difference between good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was delightful to look at, and a tree to be desired in order to make one wise and insightful, she took some of its fruit and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of the two of them were opened, that is, their awareness increased. And they knew that they were naked, and they fastened fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Now the word here in spiritually means utterly helpless. They found themselves in an utterly helpless state. How many have ever felt that way? You've been there. I feel utterly helpless in my situation to do anything about it. How many have ever felt totally vulnerable? Totally vulnerable. Exposed. Afraid. They were in awe of the one who had given them a consequence. Uh-oh. You mean there's a consequence for what I've done? You mean there's a consequence for my actions? Their inner motivation had been exposed. Sin has left us with self-awareness. Guilt is the fact of having committed an implied offense. Let me say that again. Guilt, the fact of having committed an implied offense. I mean, you know, Luke 17 says it's impossible to live this life without offense. We've offended God because of our sin, because of our recklessness in living, our failure to own up to our sinful nature and repent. That's a word I've found we have difficulty with in the body of Christ sometimes. Repentance. Ownership of our vulnerability, of our guilt and our shame. Shame is a painful feeling of humiliation or distress caused by the consciousness of wrong or foolish behavior. Many have ever been there. Wrong or foolish behavior. It's a painful feeling. I feel humiliated. So man was left in the garden of the very conscious awareness of guilt and shame because of sin and missing the mark, the standard of God's righteous requirement. Now, let me encourage us in the faith a little bit. What sin does when we are all self-centered self-referential and it's all about us because we find 
when we get to that place in our lives, we're hopeless. Life has no meaning. There's no purpose. And we're all left with a sense of the consequence of sin. Isaiah 53, 6. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. We have a commonality here tonight, don't we? All. It's all-encompassing. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. You know, some folks will say, you know, I'm a pretty good person. You know, I, I do a lot of good things. The rich young ruler came to Jesus and said, you know, I'm a pretty good guy. I, I give all, I, I give out to the poor. I help take care of people's needs. I'm pretty good. And Jesus said, yeah, that sounds good. But you really want to have riches and a reward in heaven? Go sell everything you got. He went away sorrowful. Why? Because he was exposed. His sin had been exposed to who he was. He loved money more than he loved God. He was tied to the riches. All of us like sheep have gone astray. We've turned each one to his own way. But the Lord has caused the wickedness of, of us all, our sin, our injustice, our wrongdoing, to fall on Him. Hallelujah. To fall on Him, and the Amplified says, instead of us. Is anybody thankful tonight? My God. He took it all. When unregenerated man's mind became self-centered and self-focused, after disobedience and vulnerability, his nakedness had to be covered. What did he cover it with, and why did he cover up? Pride. Pride covers our nakedness and our vulnerability. His shame became covered over by self justification well God the woman you gave me the helpmate self justification so what do we do much like Adam and Eve we put up walls to protect ourselves because we're vulnerable James says don't put up walls to protect yourselves, he says, confess your faults one to another. Uh-oh. Now, I've been in some places in the body of Christ. If you confessed your faults one to another, that fault would be all over the church. Now, I'm not talking about airing our dirty laundry. I'm talking about, he says, so that you may be healed. God wants healing in the body. And when we come together, the whole purpose that we're here together, forsake not the assembling of ourselves together, what are we supposed to do here? Just look at each other and go, well, I like your hairdo, nice makeup, nice suit, nice dress, kind of check each other out as to how we look on the outside. But what's going on on the inside when God has called us to come together for the purpose of edification? Edify, what does that mean? Build each other up. Encourage each other. We're supposed to, we're supposed to create an, such an edifying environment that when we come together that folks feel okay with confessing their faults to one another. It's okay because you're going to find healing here. You're going to find help here. You're going to find encouragement here. We know judgment can, will come. We're, we've already been judged. Po folks are already in condemnation. There's plenty of condemnation. My Lord, when I go through Romans 6, 7, I'm, I can't wait to get to Romans 8. There is therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. You know, I was over there in Romans 7. Oh, wretched man that I am. God, my mind's messed up. Who's going to deliver me from this body of sin and death? I'm a mess. I'm a wreck, God. I've messed everything up. And I put up walls to protect me because I don't want to be vulnerable. 
There's where we get, there's where the enemy traps us, is in our vulnerability. The only way we protect vulnerability is to create pride. I'm too, pri- I'm too proud to admit that I need help. That I need God's help. That I need the help and encouragement of my brothers and sisters in the Lord. The reality is when we do that, it becomes our preservation. We want to preserve this, and, and here's why Paul deals with it in 2 Corinthians. He says, I, wanna, I want you to know how to do spiritual warfare. Pull down strongholds. Now, we quote that scripture a lot. Weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling, pulling down of strongholds. Well, what, one of the best definitions I ever heard of a stronghold is... It's a safe place for the devil to hide. A stronghold is a safe place for the devil to hide. Did you know he can hide in church? And he does a lot of hiding in church. Of course, I always said, I want folks to come on anyway because there may be at some point God can break in and break through on a stronghold and have them deal with it. If they're in an environment, some guys, I even had, I don't know if it was a referendum on my preaching or not, but I'd have some guys come and sleep through the whole service. I asked one brother, I said, brother, why do you sleep while I'm preaching? He said, it's the only time of the week I can find any peace. I find peace here. Because when I'm out in the world, I'm tormented. It's torment. So in order to renew our mind to be conditioned to God's thought, we have to get to a starting place, a beginning point. It's not turning over a new leaf. It's not memorizing enough scripture. If I just say, Jesus, 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 <laughs> Jesus, we used, I'm, 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 I'm laughing here because we used to, in Pentecostal circles, we used to get around folks that were praying in the altar and we'd just say, Say Jesus, 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 Jesus. See how fast you can say that. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Reminds me, reminds me of a bunch of, a bunch of preachers that were coming home from a, a Holy Ghost filled conference, a Spirit filled conference, and this brother in the back seat, he was. Just, they were riding down the road at a pretty good clip of speed, and he was reading billboards. And, uh, you know, Olive Garden, Red Lobster. He was just saying them under his breath in this particular one. He said, economy auto sales. All the brothers in the back seat thought he was speaking in tongues. And the driver said, praise God, brother, I feel him too. (laughs) (laughs) Hallelujah. (laughs) Jeremiah 17, 9, if you're taking notes. The heart is deceitful above all things. The heart is deceitful, extremely wicked. Who can understand it fully and know its motives? So we see the condition of the natural man. When we live a life of self-denial and preservation. It's interesting, we are self-preserving something that is fundamentally at odds with God. How many know that when we get out here and involve ourselves in sin and iniquity, how many know believers have a difficult time sometimes with iniquity? Because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Lord, didn't we do many mighty works in your name? Yet will I say to you, depart from me, you who work iniquity. I never knew you. We've got an awesome responsibility to how we discipline our minds and transform them into the way God desires us to think. We allow pride and self-justification to cover our vulnerability and our nakedness. We grow up 
And life happens only from an exterior position. In other words, we try to look good, we try to feel good, we try to always be right, we try to stay in control, and sometimes, depending on the level of our behavior, we have a hidden agenda or we take personal advantage and remain undisturbed to protect our pride. That's why we see so many people in the human race that are left with neurosis. Psychologists know this, neurosis. The other is psychosis. Then we get to a deeper level when the enemy, there's a demonic attack against us based upon our vulnerability. Scripture encourages us and tells us, don't give place to the devil. How many have heard the phrase, if you give him an inch, he takes the mile? Hello? So here's where we are. What happens when our choices develop mindsets, certain ways of thinking, we become, how many have heard this phrase? Well, he's just set in his ways. That's the way he is because he's set. He, in other words, we develop a mindset that becomes a habit, a way of thinking in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3. Look at this, verse 3 and 4. But even if our gospel is in some sense hidden behind a veil, it is hidden only to those who are perishing. Among them, the God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving to prevent them from seeing the illuminating light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is in the image of God. So we're blinded. When I see folks, I'm moved with compassion when I see folks that are bound up in their mind and their spirit and their and their they they put up walls. I can't, I'm not going to be vulnerable, my pride. I'm not going to ask for help. <clears throat> I've, be, I've befriended a man. I've been I've been working on him for a couple of years. Um, a lot of guys would say he's just a mulberry redneck. But I've seen this man. He's very rough. He's very tough. And when I first met him, I thought, dude, I don't want to be around this guy. He's, he's, a, he's a rough character. And I, the Lord said, you be his friend. You become his friend. So I started hanging with him. He'd invite me to his house. Just started loving on, on him, loving on his family with the love of Jesus. Next thing I know, He's my best friend. How do I know that? Because he's opened up and become vulnerable and told me some of the deepest, most vulnerable things that a man could ever tell another man. And I, as, as I begin to hear his story, I begin to understand why he is the way he is. And so what I'm praying into his life is, God, break down the walls of pride. Make him vulnerable to the gospel. Make him vulnerable to the love of Jesus. And guess what? I'm seeing it happen more and more every day. He's becoming more and more open, more and more vulnerable to the love of Jesus. And he's open to the word of God. How do I know that? I've been, they invited me to come do a Wednesday night Bible study at their house. I started doing a study on the kingdom. And guess what he did? Went and bought himself a brand new Bible. And when we sat down and started getting into the word, see, you know, you, you don't, 
It's one-on-one many times. You don't have to have a a crowd. It's just just one-on-one. It's it's this little man in a tree. It's this little tax collector that gets up in a tree, and Jesus says, come on down. I want to go home with you today. Why? Because salvation's coming to your house. Salvation's coming to your house. Isn't that the good thing? Isn't that the good thing? I'm about to teach you a new way of talking, a new way of thinking, a new way of living. And when you get a hold of this, he said, here Zacchaeus comes out and he says, my God, I'm going to give back everything I've stole from people with interest. (laughs) You know a guy's saved when he wants to do that. (laughs) When he'll give it back with interest, you know he's found Jesus. Hallelujah. Why? Because my new nature is righteous. My new nature is righteous. That means when I got born again, I got just the new nature that he recreated by his spirit in that he recreated the human spirit in the nature of righteousness. What what does it look like? What does a righteous person look like? This is good. We're speaking of a person who conducts themselves morally right. I like to say it this way. Are you living right when nobody's looking? When somebody else's eye is not upon you. You know, we know the eye of the Lord's always on us. And he's going to know. But morally righteous or morally right. Secondly, justifiable. Thirdly, virtuous there's a good word virtuous next very good excellent righteousness is doing right choices making right decisions so we need to realize that we can have wrong behavior and God can rewire our behavior God will rewire it. It's not enough for us to just preach this new nature. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convert you and I into the image of the Son. (laughs) The image of His dear Son, Jesus. I don't know about you, that that kind of excites me. It makes me happy. Because I'm jettisoning this old nature. The Holy Spirit says, I'm not going to leave you here to fix your self-image. Your outer image, where people will think well of you. But I want you to be able to conform your mind, your thoughts, your heart, and bring your flesh under the subjection of the Holy Spirit. So instead of it being out of control and doing any old thing it wants to do, (laughs) I've I've got a friend was teaching a group of young adults and I said so so how is it it was a group of 30 down to about 19 he said well it's pretty tough because we've got this thing we call uh, agape love I'm gonna deal with that in a minute I'm kind of getting ahead of myself but he said we've it's it's kind of gotten in in the body of Christ where we call it sloppy agape in other words, we just, we're saved, we're under grace, but hey, he said, they come to me and say, hey, this love of God you talk about, why, if God says he loves me, why is it not okay for me to just live with my girlfriend out of the bonds of holy matrimony? Why is it not okay for us to just smoke a little weed? Do the things that gratify and satisfy the flesh. Drink a little alcohol. Have a little, go to the bars and and just, I thought God had created us to enjoy life. He said, boy, we had to go back to square one and start setting the standard. And God's standard is righteousness. The standard is, are you going to 
live right? Are you going to make right choices and right decisions? Because there's a, a consequence when we put up walls of pride and our vulnerability be, be, begins to take over and we don't want anybody to see what's going on. The Holy Spirit, remember we said last week, the Holy Spirit says, you're not reading the Word, the Word is reading you. The Word reads us when the Holy Spirit says, I'm with you, I'm all about you, I'm for you. Don't you love the Word? If God be for us, who can be against us? Don't you love this Word? Who can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus? The Holy Spirit says, I want to change your image. I want to change the way you talk. How many understand that what we think here will eventually come out here? With the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Those thoughts and ideas, those urges, those fantasies, we have to deal with those. And I don't know if I'll get to it tonight, but in the last session we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna deal with some of that. How do I deal with those thoughts? And how do I deal with those urges and fantasies? When God says, I want to make you aware more self-aware of your behavior because I want you to manage your mind and learn how to live better. How about John chapter 10? I've come that you might have life and that more abundantly. How many would like to have that? Life and life more abundantly. I want to talk to you about your inward appearance, the way you really see yourself. How do you see yourself? How do you deal with things? God wants us to learn how to unmask them, not cover them up. He wants us to learn how to deal with those things that we have difficulty with. Matthew chapter 22. See how I'm doing on time. Okay. Matthew 22, look at verse 34. Now when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced or muzzled the Sadducees, they gathered together. One of them, a lawyer, an expert in Mosaic law, asked Jesus a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind this is the first and greatest commandment a pretty good man if jesus thought it was a great thing it must be a pretty great thing but the second's like it you shall love your neighbor as yourself that is unselfishly seek the best or higher good for others the whole law and writings of the prophet depend on these two commandments Elders, you may never allow me to teach again after this statement, but some of the meanest people I've ever met are in church. Some, some people that are very rude. I saw a waitress at Cracker Barrel one day walk out of the restaurant and tracked some people down that she had waited on. They were Christian people, never left her a tip, and she came out and said, what did I do wrong? Did I do something wrong? Whew. Mean. Just mean and rude people. What am I saying? Which is the greatest commandment of the law? Love him with all your heart, your soul, and your mind, and love your neighbor. Isn't a measure of our love for God framed in how we treat our brothers and sisters and our fellow man? Love your neighbor as you love yourself. They were asking Jesus this question to try and trip him up. 
They wanted him to elevate their status so that when the kingdom was ushered in, they could be the judge of all. And Jesus says, here's what all the law and the prophets hang on. How you love God and how you love people. That's it. If you can master those two, If there are any Maranatha School of Ministry students here tonight, 46 years of pastoring, and I'm sure you've had some wonderful word from Brother David Ravenhill, but you've got to love people. If you're going to be involved in ministry and you're going to interact with people, you better love people. I used to say warts and all. You've got to love them. With all where they are, with all their imperfections, and love. Can I just tell you, we're too easily offended in the body of Christ. I think we've already taught the bait of Satan here. And we know. We know the Greek word scandalon for bait stick. Don't take the bait. Don't take the bait of Satan. Don't let him use that as a tool to bring you down to defeat you, to offend you. Well, I'm leaving the church. We heard that Sunday. We heard that Sunday. Well, brother, (laughs) well, who's preaching this Sunday? Have we heard that here? Can I just get real with us for a minute? Is it okay? Is it okay? If Jeremiah's not preaching today, I'm leaving. I'm out the door. I like Barry, and if Barry's not preaching today, I only come on the Sundays he's preaching. Hello? Is there scripture for that? Well, some say, I'm of Paul. And some say, I like Apollos. Paul said, let me solve it for you. I'm determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So wasn't it refreshing Sunday to say, it's not about a man, it's not about anybody, any personality, it's about lifting up the name of Jesus, and that's our mindset here, and we're going to keep our focus on Him, and as long as we're focused on Him and advancing the kingdom, when He's high and lifted up, He said, I'll draw all men unto me. Hello, somebody. Ha, ha, ha. I just got a little, I got a little renointed right there. (laughs) Hallelujah. That's good. That was good. The word agape, that's the noun. The, The action verb is agapeo. It means to welcome. It means to be fond of, to be well pleased with, to be contented, to care for and to have a moral and social obligation to embrace the love of God in our hearts. Embrace it. How do I do it? Holy Spirit? (laughs) Holy Spirit, open my heart and free my mind. You ought to do that. Just Sometimes you ought to anoint yourself. David was good at that. He, he's our, he was our worship leader. He's our scriptural worship leader, right? And he learned how to encourage himself. In the, my God, if you'd have been chased by Saul all the years he was, you would learn to encourage yourself in the Lord. Huh? We can get down in the mouth over the least little thing that happens, the least little offense. Hmm? Your success in your Christian walk with the Lord will be determined by the thing it takes to make you quit. What is it that can make you quit? Hmm? My Lord, we get a picture of it when we get married. 
We sign on till death us do part. I mean, we're in covenant. We're in, this, is, this is covenant. This is sealed in, with the blood of Jesus. We've, we've entered into covenant. We say we love, each, we love each other. I told Madeline when I signed on, better or worse, rich or poor, sickness and health. I said, the only way you get rid of me is when you walk away from my grave. That's it. That's it. What am I saying? Divorce is not an option. If you've ever gone through that, God loves you, God heals you. I understand that. But we need to get a mindset that divorce is not an option. We're in love till death, us do part. Your sickness and in health. She's always been the strong one. I never thought I'd have to walk through a quadruple bypass with her. And six weeks of nurturing and learning how to cook. <laughs> how to wash dishes, how to wash clothes. I'm the guy now that says, I want to tell you something. I run things at my house. I run the vacuum cleaner, the dishwasher, the iron, the microwave. I can do it all. Absolutely. You got to get a new mindset. Huh? Why? Because you made a covenant to love. How do you know what the depths of love are if it's never tested? You understand the depths of love by what you walk through. And guess what? It's how God matures us. It's how God brings a, 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 a new awareness and a new level of His purpose and His plan and His destiny that's at work continually in our lives. How many know it was a, it was a, a great day in my life when I, I came to the realization that God factored in my mistakes I was, so, I was so filled with excellence and I wanted to get it right and I wanted to do everything just by the book and still got messed up and failed miserably. One day I just yielded to the Lord and said, Listen, God, if there's anything about me that you can use, you go ahead and use it. I just want to tell you this. I'm available. I'm available. I'm going to give you a quick insight into a long story of 46 years of ministry and growing up in a pastor's home and eventually becoming a pastor for 20 years. Before that, I served as music pastor. I tell folks that are breaking in, if you want to learn how to be a... I actually worked myself into a job. At 18, I started a, a youth choir, had a 35-voice youth choir. We started singing around. Our, our administrative bishop came by one day, heard our choir sing, said to my dad, is that boy on staff with you? I said, no, he's just freelancing it right now. I said, you better, better get him in here or somebody's going to hire him off at another church. And so uh, <coughs> dad said, uh, well, son, I, I would like to have you on staff with me. I'd like for you to work, work with me. But he said, right now we're not in a financial position to to pay you but he said if you'll start cleaning the Sunday school rooms and the church and the restrooms we'll pay you $25 a week there you go $25 a week back in those days that was big money big money <clears throat> but you couple servanthood with your passion what you really want to do, what you want to do, where you want to eventually get to. And eventually, I started there and wound up assistant pastor and then wound up as lead pastor. Kind of worked myself into a position. You can do that in the kingdom if you just want to roll up your sleeves and go to work because you, are you just there to serve? 
I just want to, I'm, so when God picked me up from where I was, 46 years in a denomination, and planted us here, it was for a purpose. I was already wrestling with five-fold ministry. I went to some of my denominational leaders and I said, what about five-fold ministry? They said, we don't talk about that here. We don't talk about it here. I said, well, then tell me why are 1,500 pastors a month leaving the ministry? Why is it? Because they're overwhelmed. It's too much. When Paul was planting churches, he intended for them to be shared responsibilities. So we have prophet, evangelist, apostle, teacher, pastor among us. Okay? Sunday, when the prophet spoke, prophets tear things up, don't they? The prophet just tears things up. It's the way it is. When he, tells, when he tells us, you've got to find out where you fit and take personal responsibility. That's a new mindset. That's not always, that's not always ministered in Western culture church. Let the professionals do it. Here we're saying it's our responsibility, body of Christ. Everybody has a call. Everybody fits. Now it's up to you to find out where you fit. Did you get this one Sunday, though? He ended with this. I said, oh, God. He was over here, and he said, and he just stopped with this and didn't explain it. He said, there's a Nehemiah anointing. Did anybody hear that? There's a Nehemiah anointing in the house. Hey, buddy, we're going to need people on the wall. We're going to need people watching. We're going to need people praying. We're going to need people sounding the alarm. I mean, if we're going to fulfill the, that kind of anointing, we've got to have folks that are actively engaged in the work of the kingdom. Because we've got to see larger than just heart of the Father. We've got to see that this is advancing the work of the kingdom of God. What will happen if heart of the Father develops a mindset and begins to pray into these areas of God, give us our city. Give us Lakeland. Give us this region, Winter Haven, Bartow, Mulberry, Lake Wales, Haines City, Polk City, Frostproof. God, give us, give us Polk County. And when we get Polk County, give us the state. Give us the southeast. What can happen when we begin to develop those kinds of mindsets of loving people? In other words, we're giving access to what God wants and what God wills and what God wants to do 24 hours a day. Let me tell you something. If they can do it in Seoul, Korea, in Yonggi Cho's church where they've got thousands of people up on prayer mountain praying 24 hours a day, and we think we've done something when we whisper a prayer in the morning, and they pray 8 to 10 to 12 hours a day before God. Hello, somebody. When I say I'm taking my thoughts captive, when I say I'm, put, I'm putting in, them into the proper place and taking authority over them. Not just to make me feel good. Sometimes it may make me feel bad. It's a scientific thought. Once you get a thought, you've got 30 seconds to deal with that thought. Because right behind it's a feeling. Hmm? I'm going to date myself. Anybody know the singer B.J. Thomas? Remember B.J.? He sang, I'm, I'm hooked on a feeling. Where do you get that feeling from? An idea. I'm high on believing that you're in love with me. I used to sing that to Madeline. Ooh. Baby, I'm hooked. You've got me hooked. 
right behind that comes the feeling. If you want to get rid of it, you have to deal with it immediately. Thoughts and ideas that come to our minds, they'll either create mindsets that are positive or negative. We have to deal with them. Philippians 4 gives us a prescription of how to deal with it. Since I've started teaching this series, I've had more people that are experiencing emotional and mental and spiritual difficulties call me and come to me And the Lord has opened up opportunities for me to be able to deposit much of this teaching into their spirits. And one of my golden texts of Scripture is Philippians 4. Be anxious for nothing. Now, if he meant be anxious for nothing, then why am I so anxious? Why do I get uptight? Why am I afraid? 43 years I lived in fear. I was telling someone the other day, when our son was two years old, fixing to have an open heart surgery, I hated to go to the mailbox because I was afraid there'd be a letter from Shan's hospital in there telling us his surgery's been scheduled. Fear. Fear. So I put up walls. You know what fear's? Fears wrapped up in pride. Pride. And I'd walk the church parking lot, and one day the Holy Spirit confronted me, and he said, all right, Horton, which is it? Which is it? I'm pastoring. Elders, we're supposed to be great men of faith. We don't ever have problems. Right? But I'm pastoring, and the Holy Spirit says, which is it? Faith or fear? What's going to be the mindset? What's going to be the thought process? What's going to be the pattern for your life that you're going to live in for the rest of your life? For 43 years, you've lived in fear. Which is it going to be? I'll never forget it. I said, Lord, I choose faith. I choose faith. My righteous ones shall live by faith. Another translation says the just shall live by faith. Then I had to discover, well, how does faith work? It works by love. So I have to plumb the depths of the love of God. I'm still discovering that. My God, he's a loving father. He's a caring father. When I mess up, He still loves me. You ever seen your children mess up? Did you stop loving them? No, you keep on loving them when they make mistakes, when they blow it, when they're a mess. So I've just said, God, just wreck me. Just mess my whole life up. Just wreck me for your glory and mold me and shape me. Isn't it a great thing when we discover and we develop this mindset? Father, I'm just a clay. You're the potter. Go ahead and shape me. Mold me. I'm yielded to you, to your purposes. Romans 5, 5. Because God's about to do and already is doing, he's already planned this. Some of you came and talked to me after service last Wednesday night. God's already purposed and he's already planned. He's got a new mindset for waiting on you. All you got to do is say, put your hand on your head and say, Lord, I receive it. Open the eyes of my heart. Open up my mind. Just plow real deep. If you, as deep as you want to plow, break up the fallow ground because I know that you have good seed waiting on me. Remember the boy I told you about last week that went to Lake and Cash Feed and started eating two mustard seed every day and memorizing two verses of Scripture? Guess what the Word started doing? It germinated and it started coming up. And that small seed produced a great tree, produced great things. So what's God prepared to do for you in, the, in, in terms of the mindset? He's able to do exceedingly We quote this all the time. Abundantly above all that we could ask or think. Wow. Wow. We're building the Tower of Babel in the Old Testament. 
the Trinity looks over there and says, we better go down there and check this out because these guys are in, in such unity. They've got a mindset that if they keep going, they're going to accomplish their goal. They're going to do it. How many know that God put in our imagination the ability to accomplish things that if we set our mind to it, we'll be able to do it? If God purposes something and puts it in our heart, he says this, Romans 5, 5, such hope in God's promises, God's promises, everybody say that with me, God's promises, hallelujah, never disappoints us because God's love has been abundantly poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us, hallelujah, yea, Jesus, I got to got to wrap it here make sure I've got the right spot if you in in your Bibles if you have your Bibles go to James because I'm going to wrap it up here sure I'm in the right spot. Look at verse 22, James chapter 1. Let's, let's start with verse 21, and I'm going to read through 25. Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. How many want to be blessed in what you do? Okay, when you look in the mirror, do you see... The image of the Holy Spirit. Do you, or do, when you look and you go away, you forget what you look like. You forget the image of God that's being formed inside of you, that the Holy Spirit has begun a work. And Philippians 1 6 says, He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. God's work isn't complete yet. He's not finished with any of us yet. He still has yet more for us to accomplish. But the mindset has to be, Lord, whatever you challenge me to do, whatever it is, I'm going to find out where I fit. Because I want that Nehemiah anointing. That when I go to the king and say, King, I've got a vision for rebuilding walls and rebuilding a city and retaking a city that's in ruins and everything's been destroyed. And even if I'm met with opposition, I'm still going to keep on building. What kind of spiritual house and spiritual mindset is God building in you? What are you allowing him to deposit in your soul, in your spirit? Come on, somebody. He's doing a good work. He's doing a good work. That's what he's doing with the regenerate mind. I'm, I'm going to end in there because I, um, where's my percussionist? Is it Corey? Come on and come on and percuss for me. 
always call them percussionists. That's the proper musical term. I hate to call him, well, he's just a drummer. Hey, drummer, come on. He's a, this guy's good. This guy's good. Let's do a little mindset, a little mental warfare. The Lord gave me, I used to do this, this chorus. It, this, is, this is one of the ones, and this is easy because it's not going to be on the screen, okay? We won't have to sing off the wall, okay? We used to sing having to hold books, but now we can sing off the wall, which is freed up our hands. And some people like that, some people don't. I grew up singing out of the Red Back Hymn Book, you know? I'll fly away, meeting in the air, heaven's jubilee. Brother David, you know all those, don't you? Yeah. We're, we kind of float in that same. Yeah. But here, this was one that just grabbed my spirit. <clears throat> and we'll just, I'm going to leave you stay seated because we're just going to do this. I'll sing, I'll, sing a, I'll sing the lyric, and then you repeat what I sing. Can you do that? Can we do that? But if, you, if I'm going to leave you seated, I want you to, okay, you know how we used to do if you were ever in music class, okay, boys and girls, sit up straight in your seats, okay? Get a smile on your face. Look like you know what you're doing, all right? Because we're going to do warfare. We're going to do warfare. And if it gets on you, then just stand up and just worship and, you know, if it really gets on me, I may run. You know, you just never know how it's going to affect you. You never know. Yeah. All right, Corey, give, give me some warfare drums. No, I got to have it, and then I'll start. Go ahead and give it to me. That'll get the devil moving, won't it? All right, here we go. Here's the lyric. You just repeat it after me. Hail Jesus, you're my king. Your life frees me to sing. I will praise you all my days. You're perfect in all your ways. Hail, hail, Lion of Judah. How powerful you are. Hail, hail, Lion of Judah. How wonderful you are. Now listen to this. Glory, glory to the Lamb. We were caught. You take me into the land. We will conquer in your name. And proclaim that Jesus reigns. Come on. Hail, hail, Lion of Judah. How powerful you are. Hail, hail, Lion of Judah. How wonderful you are. Glory, glory to the Lamb. You take me into the land. We will conquer in your name and proclaim that Jesus reigns. Hail, hail, Lion of Judah. How powerful you are. Hail, hail, Lion of Judah. How wonderful you are. Sing it one more time. Oh, hail, hail, Lion of Judah. How powerful you are. Hail, hail, Lion of Judah. How wonderful you are. Come on, give him your best praise. Give him a crazy praise. Oh, it don't make no sense. Hey, hallelujah be to God. Oh, come on, somebody. He's worthy. He's worthy to receive our praise. Hallelujah be to God.
Oh, yeah. I told you we was going to have fun tonight. So tomorrow when you're driving down the road and you're singing, Hail, hail, line of Judah. Somebody looks over at you and they go, You have lost your mind. Say, Yes, I have. Because if I keep my mind on him, he said what? I'll keep you in perfect peace. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. I'm through. Put your, put your hand on your mind. Lord, our minds are open. Our hearts are receptive. You just sow seeds from the word that will renew and transform. We denounce conformity to the flesh and the things of this world. And we declare that we have the mind of Christ. We are dead to sin and alive unto God. Hallelujah. Amen. Come on, somebody. I'm done.